Totally Football Show. On a weekend where Liverpool faced Everton and strong breezes and title hopes took a blow. There's Spurs Arsenal, the Classico, all sorts of excitements from abroad and a look forward to the midweek European action. OGS at PSG, Spurs at Dortmund and will Arsenal regret their trip to Rien? All of that coming up in Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Coming up in this Totally Football show, we've got oh, it's a really stellar lineup today. There's Michael Cox of zonalmarking.net, and also, Michael, we can reveal Zonal Marking the book. Yes, that's uh, out in late May. Yeah, right. It's a book about the uh, development of uh, European football over the last. I could have sworn you said you were never writing another book. Well, I wanted to keep it a secret, James. Wow, you said it wasn't have. quite finished. I didn't want to, you know, if I'd perished, it would have been. Before it come out? Yeah. Uh, what was the biggest turning point that you came across in your research for European football? Maybe the Bosman ruling was, was a huge Or Gaza de Lazio, that's another huge one. Gaza de Lazio <laughs> was big, yeah. Did someone yeah. like to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> No, but that's fair, the Bosman ruling, the Bosman ruling. Now, also here today, a man who knows loads of good stories, he sees them every Christmas, it's Daniel's story. yeah. Hi, Daniel. Morning. And just back from boiling football's bunny, it's Sasha Gurionov. <laughs> Morning, James. Hi. You've had a busy weekend, Sasha. You, you were planning to go to Merseyside, Craven Cottage and uh, Wembley. Uh, yeah, but uh, there was a slight impossibility on Sunday because the Merseyside derby kicked off about 15 minutes after the game at Craven Cottage finished. So oh, right. as much as I desired to be at Goodison Park, I was only there in spirit. Well, it was a spirited performance from both sides, I would say. Liverpool more in the first half, Everton certainly in the, in the second. How worried are you about Liverpool after this performance, Sash? I think if you take the individual games in which Liverpool dropped points um, over the last month... Uh, just on their own, perhaps you could find reasons for it. But this is certainly a worrying tendency, particularly at a time where I thought Liverpool would now start seeing the benefit of those um, weeks away that they had because they were out of the FA Cup. Unfortunately, uh, yesterday didn't really seem particularly smart about the way they were playing football. But I have to caveat that. I think Everton were an extremely motivated opponent. And then this is the second time in the week uh, Liverpool go to one of the two key rivals, um, who are really, really motivated to st- in stopping them. And in general, if you look at the Merseyside derbies, they don't tend to be particularly high-quality games, particularly at Goodison Park, uh, where Everton don't tend to score, and Liverpool don't really tend to score either. I think it was nil-nil last season, the season before Mane had to score in like 94th minute. Mm. So in terms of Liverpool going to Goodison Park and beat- beating Everton just because they have a long history of beating them, plus because Everton are mid-table, I don't think it quite works. It's always quite an awkward game for Liverpool. Right. I must admit, I really enjoyed it. The, the, the atmosphere, the, 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 the spirit. Did, did Marco Silva win the battle with Klopp in this one? I think he did in terms of his substitutions, yes. I think Everton support, it's kind of easier for, for Silver in that he went into the game knowing that any result was a we've stopped Liverpool in their tracks result. But actually he needed to do a little bit more than that because he was brought in as this Everton manager who would play on the front foot, who would be more attacking. Um, I think they were. I think they were poor in the first half. They went long to Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is, he's good in the air, but A, he was facing Virgil van Dijk, who's the best header of the ball in the Premier League. And B, he had players around him in Bernard and Walcott who didn't really offer anything to the game, I didn't think. Um, they looked much better when they brought on, I thought all three substitutions were excellent. Although I, I would caveat that by saying I was surprised that all three of them didn't start. I think Andre Gomez is probably one of the, probably the best protector and passer of the ball outside the top six. 
I think uh, Richarlison, I mean, they paid 40, 50 million pounds for Richarlison. It's odd that he didn't start a game like that. And they brought on Tosin for, for Bernard, who was um, pretty ineffective. And Calvert-Lewin, he could easily have played out wide and then kind of come in field for those long balls forward. It was just nice to see them get the ball on the floor second half. It, it, it felt a complete reverse of the first half. In the, mm. Liverpool increasingly looked longer and longer at the pitch uh, and isolated that front three who didn't play well. And Everton kind of thought, actually... We can pass the ball through these. We don't need to just hump it long as they did in the first half. So, yeah, I thought Silver did pretty well. OK. I mean, Everton did look much better in the second half, but Liverpool really should have won that game, no? Well, they had the chances. I mean, Salah had, had three opportunities, really. And I think a, combina- a combination of his touch letting him down. Second, I think the wind is a legitimate excuse. I know people don't like saying it, but the conditions were, were terrible. And there, there were miscontrols from players throughout the game. And thirdly, I think the one thing that Salah really needs to improve upon is he's very left-footed. That feeds into, you know, his touch. He's always trying to work the ball into his left foot. And the third chance where he let Keane back in for a a challenge, I think a really, you know, a more predatory centre-forward would have taken that in their right foot, but he doesn't feel comfortable to do that. And I think that is obviously a big concern. On the subject of wind, Eurosport pointing out that Portland Timbers and Colorado Rapids played in minus 18. Massive snowstorm at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. And they had six goals, Sasha. 3-3 draw. The legitimate criticism, I think, of Klopp, which is what he got angry about after the game, which is was his use of substitutions. And it, it was exactly the same as against Manchester United in that um, Sasha's right. These are both in isolation good results. Drawing away generally against your fiercest rivals away from home is a good result but this is not a normal title race and Liverpool have been given chances to win both of those games both by United's injuries and by Everton playing pretty badly first half United's but, injuries which were also cited by Klopp as a reason why his team struggled yeah and again I, I, I do kind of get it in that it disrupts your rhythm but the problem is is that second half when you're given the chance to change the game Liverpool haven't changed the game Yeah, I, I was so surprised I know he's not been in brilliant form recently but I was so surprised that that Shakiri stayed on the bench yesterday. I was also surprised that Cater stayed on the bench because although he's struggled a bit this season, he is at least dynamic in central midfield. Bringing on Milner and Lalana, it just felt a bit um, underwhelming. Form- yeah, formulaic, and, right. and they, he's just hoping that the front three click together and something works. But if they're not in form, they clearly might need a bit more than that. Although they did have their chances. Yeah, they, they they did have the chances, but I think they should have created more against a, a fairly poor Everton side. The thing that slightly annoyed me about Klopp's. Uh, objection to the question in the press conference was people weren't just saying put on a fourth and fifth striker I think the general approach was put on Shakiri, and that's the system they played for pretty much half the season it worked very well for them and people expected that he might be given half an hour and, and Milner's been in really poor form recently I mean yeah. I'm a big James Milner fan I think he's he's generally been a solid player for the last 10 years but he's not been in good form and Shakiri just creates things. I think Klopp got annoyed about the question he wanted to hear or maybe the way he wanted to steer the direction of the conversation. But also going back to the United game, one thing that was surprising to me at the time as well in terms of not seizing a chance, he didn't put on Trent Alexander-Arnold who, whom he did have on the bench that game who could have forced the issue. Mm. But I do agree that I think at United he was happy to take the point just to keep it safe. Right. But I think of these two games, realistically, given the circumstances, he had to win one of them and he failed to do so. Uh-huh. In other hyphenated player news, a little bit of good tidings for you. Sash, which is that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain could apparently be back in training next week, could be featuring for the under-23s, is that right, against Everton? ACL injuries. Um, 
would ge- you would generally look at a year. So I think the hope with Oxlade Chamberlain, and apparently now with the Joe Gomez as well, is that they will be back in April, which okay. is when Liverpool would really need those two players. Oxlade Chamberlain last year gave that directness and connection between midfield and attack that Liverpool are lacking at the moment. And of course, the thing with Joe Gomez as well, he is fast, he is very good playing from the back, which actually makes the whole Liverpool backline really, really quick. And I think. While we talk about Liverpool not contributing enough goals from midfield, not enough creativity from midfield, I think the thing about Klopp's Liverpool is speed, speed of transition, which is, I think, something, again, that Oxley Chamberlain and Gomez will bring into the team, perhaps at the crucial stage of the season. OK. Well, Ben Watson says, can we talk about how Manchester City have come from a possible 10 points behind Liverpool in the matter of six weeks? I mean, there were seven behind, they're now one ahead, following their 1-0 win against a Bournemouth team who became only the fourth team ever to go through an entire 90 minutes without having a shot either on or off target. The others being, Daniel? Swansea uh, against Huddersfield 2017. There you go. Uh, Brian Robson's West Brom mm. against, I cannot Man remember. Man City 2004. Man City. And Steve Keane's Blackburn come on down. Isn't there it? we go. They did. Uh, that was against Spurs. Quick thoughts on this game, Daniel? A, a word for City, it, because of how strong they are, when they do things like clumsy lose to Newcastle, it sticks in the mind. But they've won 16 in the last 17 in all competitions, which is remarkable. Wow. Um, and their next five games, I think, are Watford, Schalke at home, um, Fulham, Cardiff and Swansea. So quite feasibly, they could go into mid-April having won 21 in the last 22 games, which is we pick fault at Liverpool but as I say it's because of those tight margins it's because of the pace that City are setting Right, I mean they've only lost once all season and they're still in second place City though will be without Kevin De Bruyne it looks like for a while he's got Mm. uh, hamstring twang They're in the middle of of an injury crisis as well City they've got De Bruyne is out Stones is out Fernandinho's out they're out without their first three first choice left backs in Mendy Delph and Laporte so yeah, I mean, the fact that they're producing this form when key players are out is a little bit concerning for right. everyone Right, and they haven't had warm weather training either. Yeah, I don't think this uh, Bournemouth statistic should be overlooked. Mm. What Manchester City did on Saturday was incredible. I mean, the three other teams you, you list were unquestionably very bad teams. Bournemouth are sometimes a bad team, but usually because they leave the door open at the back, not because they lack attacking spark. And they did manage a shot because City's possession play was great. Their structure in midfield was fantastic. It's the thing that Guardiola's worked upon most over the last four or five years, denying the opposition opportunities to counterattack. And um, it's it's a slightly different version of of City's football. You know, it's it's defensively excellent, which we don't usually say about them. But if you don't allow the opposition a shot, it might not be last ditch defending. It might not be Van Dijk defending. Right. But that's really impressive. Okay. To what extent is your admiration of City tempered by things like the latest revelations from football leaks, which appears to show a sustained period of flouting of FFP regulations and and, and very much a knowing flouting thereof? Yeah, I mean, they've broken the rules, so they've done it quite blatantly. I think there's as many of us, myself included, don't completely agree with the extent of some of the uh, financial fair play rules, but that's no excuse. The, the, the rules are there. If you break them, there should be pretty serious sanctions because breaking them is, you know, unquestionably contributed to them having by far and away the best squad in the Premier League. Mm. And it seems to me that the way they've been breaking them is they haven't really made that much effort to hide it. They just haven't... Answered the questions perhaps to the to the fullest extent, but you didn't. But by, by the looks of it, from the WikiLeaks revelations, you only had to go maybe two or three layers before actually finding out there was city involvement, where apparently there wasn't. Has there been any reaction from UEFA? Because th- this is only the latest in 
the things coming out of the, the football league. They, they said they are investigating. Right. They said it's an ongoing investigation. Okay. The Manchester City's or the, the excuse or reasoning for Manchester City supporters is that it's a kind of campaign against City or out to get City and it's pretty clear the Manchester City's hierarchy do not agree with FFP and I suspect that their eventual defence will not be to argue that they didn't break the rules but will be to argue that the rules are in themselves illegal or against European competition law. A new Bosman. Yeah, exactly. They will argue that and that will be their defence but that's a risky defence because if it, if it fails to come off and UEFA will fight it as hard as they can then they will surely face expulsion from at least one Champions League season. Really? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that should happen. But the thing is, it's interesting how much Man City interest are already inter- intertwined with UEFA. How far would UEFA be prepared to go with this? Um, which I, I think would be interesting to see how this plays out. But I think also, you know, from Manchester City fans' point of view, this will just yet again play into the whole mentality of not entirely trusting UEFA, not tr- entirely trusting European competitions, not embracing sort of that side of football. So I think... Um, it's going to be quite a lot of emotional reaction, I think, in the, in the coming months. Football clubs aren't stupid now. They know that supporters have become increasingly tribalistic. They know that football supporters are looking for conspiracy theories. So Manchester City can easily sit on this and play on that. Because if you if you look at... And it is not a complete section of support, but if you look at social media, there are some... Manchester City supporters and these are bloggers and even journalists that I saw at the weekend kind of going oh more out to get City more out to get City Manchester City can play on that because it plays perfectly into their hands of no one likes us we don't care and Manchester City have have done this in other ways quite successfully I mean with this documentary series for example they're almost trying to create their own narrative about their own season which they don't really need to because they won it and I mean even that Sorry to bang on about it again, but when they drew in the League Cup last year and they rebranded it as a victory and said that they won 12 in a row or whatever, yeah, you can't, you can't, that's, that's just changing the result of football games to suit your own agenda. Never forget, Michael. Well, <laughs> never forget. Can, can I just uh, say one, one, one thing about the football at Bournemouth? I think what Bournemouth also showed that if a Premier League team actually sets itself to defend, mm. really to defend, it's actually quite hard to score against them, even if you're a City. Look at the goal that was conceded. That was actually a goalkeeping mistake. It wasn't a very well-hit shot. City did not create much at all, and they really, really struggled to break them down. This is against the Bournemouth team that lost 10, now 10 out of 11 against the top six this season. But perhaps this is the first time we saw Bournemouth actually defend against the top six as opposed to play football. All right, one point then between City and Liverpool with nine games to go. Who's going to do it before you answer, Sash? Let me just give you this stat. Courtesy of Simon Brundish, who points out that Liverpool average 1.33 points per game on pitches bigger than 7,000 square metres, right? 1.33 when the pitch is bigger than 7,000 square metres. But when pitches are smaller than that, their points average is double. Now, Anfield is smaller than that, and of their remaining six away games, five. No, of their remaining games, only one is on a pitch bigger than 7,000 square metres. Boom. Is that St James Park? I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think what is probably more important is that um, the remaining four away fixtures are against size towards the bottom of the table. Right. But I think what could be more crucial here, and this is one of the reasons why I thought Liverpool being knocked out of the FA Cup wasn't such a bad idea, is the Manchester City fixture pileup in, in April. I know they get through like the next five games, which will look relatively easy, but the second half of April might see Champions League quarterfinals, uh, it will also see City play Spurs and Manchester United within the space of four days. They're already picking up the injuries. They could maybe get them get them back healthy with an international break. But I think physically for City, April is going to be very, very difficult. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 
Tony Football Show is going to be live in Liverpool on Monday, March 25th. Sasha, you're going to be there. Very excited about it, James. So will Duncan Alexander and Rory Smith. We're going to be at the Epstein Theatre. It's an international break as well, so thank goodness for Totally Football Show live in Liverpool. Monday night football. Yeah. Uh, you can get tickets at epsteinliverpool.co.uk. So what are you waiting for? Uh, let's have a quick chat, Daniel, about the top four race. Spurs, as you know, are still third, but it's now Man United pulling off the miracle, making it into the top four. They are three points behind Tottenham. Arsenal are a point behind United in fifth with Chelsea a point behind them, but with a game in hand. And, oh my word, it's Man United, Arsenal next. Let's talk about, what do you want to go with? The match which had you a quiver, a tingle, a head, a head of kickoff, like a child oh, before Christmas. We were all there, so should we do the North London Let's Derby? Let's do the North London oh, okay. Derby. I'm going to say it wasn't a vintage edition. Uh, oh. It was a, a oh. very Derby Derby in that you could see the nerves in the stands on the pitch and the kind of... Natural responses to play direct and to get rid of the ball quite quickly, and I thought it was a really good game. I thought it was entertaining. Um, I think Arsenal should have should have won quite comfortably. Alexander Lack didn't really get talked about as much after the game. But Alexander Lacazette's chance about two minutes, five, in. yeah, well that one, but the second half about five minutes before he came off. That's a, a classic striker's chance in that it's just one touch and it's extinctive, extinctive finish. Loads of space the other side of the goalkeeper. And he just slashed at it really, really badly. Uh, and he came off almost immediately and was visibly angry on the bench. But, right. Yeah, I think Arsenal should have, should have won the game. Well, Spurs quite fortunate not to get a third straight defeat. The miss or misses from Lacazette. The Spurs penalty, which was controversial. I guess yes. we're going to go into that. And then when Arsenal got their own controversial penalty Aubameyang just kind of trickles it towards Loris yeah it was a huge save I mean for Spurs to lose three on the bounce three within a week I think would have been a, a really really damning indictment of of their situation at the moment it would have been only one point between the teams which is incredible considering you know Arsenal fans have been very negative over the last month or so and Spurs were on the fringes of the title race 10 days ago yeah I, I didn't think it was a great game like you say James I think that um, it really showed where both sides were lacking. Spurs, I think, lacked any kind of control in midfield without Harry Winks, I think he's an excellent player. And I thought Sissoko and Wanyama weren't really moving the ball quickly enough. For Arsenal, I think they did very well on the pitch and in a tactical sense and probably with a better team. But I still look at their squad and I think you weren't playing your best player in Aubameyang, you weren't playing your best playmaker in Ozil and you weren't playing your best central midfielder in Torreira. And there are various reasons for that. But... Arsenal haven't found a way to get their best players on the pitch together. And I think if they did, um, they would be a much better side, to, to put it very simply. Um, I wasn't impressed with either side in this game, to be honest. All right. Were you impressed with the refereeing, Sasha? Can I just say I was really impressed with Danny Rose. Okay. I loved, I loved Yeah, I just, I, I know there's tactical reasons for you it. You just like, made uh, Michael s- snort I, I out of like, the I saw him at full time. Yeah, I was, I was, Sasha was like giddy at watching Danny no, Rose play. The thing is, I know they both have their faults and I know that Rose, as pretty much as Pochettino admitted after the game, only ended up in sentiment because they just ran out of players. But there was, I don't it was almost playground stuff watching a left-back playing sentiment, having not much of an idea what he was supposed to be doing. Uh, obviously, flying into keeper studs first, I don't you know, condone that, but I think people asking for a sending off for that were asking for a bit too much. But I think it's just a general enthusiasm to the player that he brought. I, I actually found it really, really enjoyable. And I, I thought, um, apparently it happened before against Real Madrid for 10 minutes, as we found out after the game. But it, it just looked so unnatural and it looked so weird that you have basically teams vying for top four in England, one of the best 
well, if not best, maybe leagues in the world. And you are forced to do this, basically a playground player trying trying to somehow hold that midfield together. He's no Philip Lahm, basically. Well, it's just maybe Lahm had more practice playing there. Right, maybe so. Maybe so. Um, that that the offside thing. Do we want to talk about that, or is it just? We were talking about Michael. I talk about it for the show. Uh, basically, it sounds like, and some former referees disagree with each other, which is incredibly unhelpful when they've all got media columns in national newspapers. But it sounds like it was the correct call because the ruling is such that you don't give the offside when the ball's delivered and the player can run, but when he actually challenges in the air for the ball, that's when he becomes offside. Okay. If that's true, and it sounds that way, it sounds that that's what the IFAB consider the rules to be, then uh-huh. the rule is an ass. Because how, a def- how as a defender you have to say, well, I think that the attacker there is offside, so I'm just going to let him run right. and connect with the ball for the offside to be given. That's not how you defend. That's not how you ever talk to defend. So, so OK, Sean impossible. Lee says, how would you define the offside rule if you had a clean slate? How think, sh- what should it say? Well, I, th- I think in that instance, I'm not going to go with the exact wording, but in that instance, it, he, Harry Kane should be offside the moment he makes, it becomes clear that he is making a move for the ball. Right. I would also say, and this is pure conjecture, I don't think that the assistant referee didn't raise his flag there because he thought, no, Harry Kane's not really challenging for the ball yet. I think he got the decision wrong. And I think it happens that he got the decision wrong in what turns out potentially to be the right way. But how an how assistant referee can ever from their view across the pitch judge whether a player is challenging for the ball or attempting to make a play for the ball or it's just a nonsense it's impossible it's such a grey area and and the reason it's a grey area and that becomes a problem is because we're obsessed with refereeing decisions mm. this is the problem when the refereeing as you say gets scrutinised so much then we end up talking about it rather than the game itself it's allow- it allows yeah. clubs and managers like it because mm. it allows a lack of scrutiny in their own decisions players like it because it allows a lack of scrutiny in yeah. their mistakes how a referee, a completely marginal call like that, can become the talking point of a match where, and I understand the irony of me now talking about it, by the way, but in a game where someone like Lacazette's miss then for gets overshadowed, that right. was that was the big call. That or Aubameyang's penalty miss. That's the big moment. I, all right, should we just bin off any refereeing chat from now on? I'd be so happy <laughs> to do so. I just it it just plays into this fan. It just plays into this fan conspiracy theory, tribalist nonsense that now kind of seems to dictate football debate. Not on podcast but, but social media and, and certainly everywhere. not our listeners they don't know do they're better than that thank goodness um yeah aaron ramsey's goal yes so well taken yes i, I must say watching it live i thought he'd messed it up really yeah it looked like it, it looked I thought, like he, a, I thought he stumbled as yeah, he went around stumbled. the goalkeeper but he didn't and he, he did he was a dummy i do like a a pass where the offside decision is determined because the player's in his own half. Yeah. Shows quite. I mean, I know they had the ball and it was a mistake from Sanchez, but how high their defensive line was up. It was basically 45 yards from Arsenal's goal. And Ramsey just delayed his run perfectly and he's got 40 yards of space to run into. And think about it as and well. And think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, that top four race, then the Gunners' next game is against United. That's their last top six head-to-head of the season. Mm. Mm. Wow. I, I don't know how big the pitches are they're going to be playing on. I think... Um, I'd now. Spurs. I, I, I worry, yeah, I'm worried about Spurs. They still have four. both Liverpool and Man City away from home. Yeah, and they're knackered. Poor right. Christian Eriksen, who is now getting significant flack from Tottenham supporters for failing to drag them on, and he just looks tired out, and there's no one else that can even begin... Well, Deli Alley's injured. There's no one else that can even begin to replace what he does because the only options on the bench were Fernando Llorente, who came on, and was ineffective and got booked. And Lucas Moura, who's, after a bright start of the season, really tailed off. They just have to keep picking Ericsson every single week and hoping he does it. And people go on about Spurs players maybe 
not winning trophies and therefore wanting to leave. If I was a footballer, I'd be more annoyed that I was getting stick from my own supporters for not dragging a team on when I'm absolutely shattered and there's no one else, I've got no choice but to have a rest. But also, do you think, um, because I was was at the Chelsea game as well, it seems to be that Eriksen is left with just too much to do in that midfield uh, because he he was almost has to do a bit of defending and then do all the creative stuff. We're used to Kane on form. Kane creates his own chances. He drops deep, he he links play, his one-touch passing on the turn is brilliant when he's in form came but he's not quite fit and we ha- we didn't see that at all against Arsenal so Ericsson has to both service Kane and link with a midfield I mean Victor Wanyama bless him is is not of the standard required anymore he will leave in the summer I'm sure because he only stayed in January because Dembele left and they couldn't afford to sell him I think I also think when you play five at the back you cannot do it with a tired team I mean I've seen this formation from Spurs before earlier in the season when they can do the running when Son can move but I think in this situation where they're there at the moment, uh, it's just not enough midfielders. Well, now just three points behind Spurs are Man United, following their 3-2 win over Southampton, which was basically the March Goal of the Month competition. We'll talk about that game <laughs> after this. Hello, I'm Emma Bullimore. And I'm Mark Jeffries. We host the Series Link podcast for TV fans by TV fans. And this week we have a very special guest. We managed to sit down with the one and only... Ricky Gervais. Jane went to Brighton once um, to visit her mum and the boiler went and I didn't know how to do it. I couldn't get the telly on and I just came out and it was like, it was honestly, it was like Castaway. <laughs> he talked to us about everything including his new Netflix show Afterlife, his love of dogs and what he thinks of Twitter critics. To be able to cast your leading lady as a German shepherd was unbelievable <laughs> for me. And I admit, I cast it on looks first. <laughs> she backed up with a great personality. Search Series Linked on your podcast app to hear the full interview with Ricky. Four, what a match at Old Trafford, eh? My boy's back. Lukaku. Mm. Two goals for him. He's on 113 now in the Premier League and he's only 25. Mm. That's mad. Yeah. Enjoyable though his finishes were, they weren't the best goals of the game. The worst. They, no, the I'm least, not sure he will. Yeah, I'm not sure he will mind that. Actually, I thought his first goal, where he kind of beat a couple of defenders and finished with his right, was pretty good. Yeah, but yes, I mean, by the average of that game, they were below. Who who wins it for you? Um, Is it Pereira? Yes, because Valerie's got a slight touch from the goalkeeper. De Gea gets a touch to it, right? Mm. And, and Ward Prowse with the free kick. Good. Wardy. Good. Oh, no, yeah. Prowsey, I think. JWP free kicks can never be right at the top level of goal of the month competitions for me okay you can have a great free kick but it's like a different category of goal I'm going to send you a link of a goal by Juan Quintero okay yeah that That was to be fair that was good you're right Sasha fair point Um, harsh to see Saints leave empty handed yes I was just going to say on Lukaku yeah now got a better goals per minute ratio in the Premier League this season than Mohamed Salah wow which is mad, given the seasons that we think both have had. Mm. Well, United have a, a big game coming up midweek, of course. They're going to be heading to Paris. They're 2-0 down from the first leg against Paris Saint-Germain, which was, I think, the first time that Solskjaer looked a little bit out of his depth that game. Do you think he'll have learnt... Ooh, no, Michael? no, I don't agree. No, I, I think uh, he's done a very good recovery job, and I think they were, they were playing against a side who's been... At a much higher level to them over the last three or four years. And they were probably confused by Paris Saint-Germain's injuries, no? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, and they had a, a couple of injuries of their own. No, I, right. I, 
I was surprised by the the kind of post match reaction that this was some kind of failure from Solskjaer. I think for them to lose two 0 to PSG is at home. Sorry to say, is roughly what you'd expect. Okay. For, for these sides, do you, what, what do you think the chances are, given that it's Paris Saint Germain, of there being an extraordinary reversal in the second leg? Okay, loads of injuries still for United and yeah. Sanchez to, for what that's worth. Yeah, uh, joining that particular list. Yeah, he's he's not looking good. Uh, the bright spark is that Diego Dallo has looked very good the last couple of games. Um, and yeah, that's a bit of a surprise because he was very much intended to be a right back, but has played right midfield against Crystal Palace, and I thought was was good going forward and also shut down that flank defensively against Zaha. So yeah, he's been very good. Biggest the injuries, ironically, because of this weird uh, snapshot that Solskjaer has to impress, almost help him in that it it clearly reduces expectations slightly, but also Solskjaer would consider his uh, difference to Jose Mourinho would be in his kind of togetherness in the squad and using young players so actually having the perfect excuse to use players like Anders Pereira and saying look just go out and play we saw what happened then on Saturday and he, he, I thought he was excellent against Southampton I think he looks a real prospect and I don't think he would have got those chances under Jose Mourinho that said don't you think Oli would, would love a Maron Fellaini to throw on, <laughs> throw on late at the Parc des Princes but it must be said, Solskjaer is playing the PR game incredibly. Yes. I mean, I think he's done a fantastic job in terms of results. I've been impressed by him tactically. He's done much better than I've expected. But, I mean, every kind of opportunity to, to mention something that happened in 1999 or under Sir Alex Ferguson is, said, is quite incredible. He's, he he's crowbarring it in so well. After the game, he said, he said, oh, what did... So he was asked, what did you say at halftime? And he said, oh, just play the way you play and the Stretford end will suck the ball towards the goal. And I thought... <laughs> Yeah, you know what you're doing. Fair play. He's Fair compared play. Mc, uh, compared McTominay to Fletcher, the lad who came on at Crystal Palace, whose name I've forgotten. Sorry, compared him to Michael Carrick. Just everyone, it's like, oh yeah, he's in the Manchester United mould. It's it's quite a sight. But also the way he's managing, he's managing like a really experienced manager, uh, which is I think basically shows Solskjaer is like quite smart and he knows how to manipulate all those around him, uh, which is fair play. Uh, but one thing with um, the game against PSG. PSG just had a training session at the weekend mm. uh, against Caen, where they hit the post about five times. Di Maria, the main culprit, uh, but they got late winner from Mbappe. But Verratti was on the bench, rested. Is Cavani injured, or is he was he just being rested at the weekend? I think he was he's injured. injured. He, he was, was injured. injured. He's injured. Certainly, he's yeah. first leg probably will be. So the second, I, I, think. I think sort of PSG are coming into this in reasonably good condition. Um, but it, for so, PSG, that's the last thing they want is a training exercise ahead of a, a big game. Because isn't that the thing that usually? See them then come on, come unstuck. The, well, the whole league has been a training exercise yeah. for them the entire season. Uh, but I can't really see them conceding three goals at home. Seventeen points clear at the top of the league. Mm. Right. Okay. PSG to hang on then to that slender two 0 lead. Uh, also in Europe, Spurs, who are three 0 up from their first leg against Borussia Dortmund. Dortmund come into this match after a two one defeat at Augsburg. Uh, both goals scored by former Sunderland man uh, Ji Dung Won. Yeah, I cannot believe that's the same player. He's <laughs> absolutely. I mean, he went. Ji Dung Two points out pretty superb. Good. He um, he went to. I think he went to Augsburg, didn't he? And then went to Dortmund, and then went back to Augsburg. I think. So he's kind of. This is deep. Floated knowledge. along, but I cannot believe. I had to double check. I cannot believe that's the same player that was wretched at Sunderland. That is only the second league defeat of this season for Borussia Dortmund, and it means. The Bayern Munich are now level with them on points at the top of the Bundesliga. Well, they are. They're kind of doing what Spurs are at the moment. Who? Dortmund. Dortmund. I mean, they're both. Or or Liverpool. (laughs) Well, yeah, but they they were significantly ahead of their rivals Mm. and have now suddenly, in the space of two weeks, have found themselves 
you know, back level almost. Right, Bayern Munich, who went to Borussia Mönchengladbach and beat them 5-1. So that was good. Gladbach didn't have much of a defence. They were playing suicidal high line and every time... Uh, Bayern went forward. When did you watch this game, Sasha? Just, uh, just kept an eye. It was, it was Saturday night. It was before all the big ones. And Lewandowski had about three one-on-ones saved by Jan Zoma. And it was it was absolutely ridiculous. I don't think it was very good prep for Liverpool because it's not going to look like this. I mean, Kimmich and Müller were playing as well. But Lewandowski got two. He should have had about six. Okay. Really one-sided. All right. Well, 3-0 up from the first leg sounds impressive. Uh, worrying Spurs fan Johnny Blaine, though, says... Yes, out of the 23 ties in which the home side have won the first leg by three or more, only three times have they lost the tie. Yet, Borussia Dortmund have scored three or more goals in 12 of their 17 home matches this season. So, they usually do score three goals at least. And they've kept clean sheets in five of their 17 home matches. Yeah, I mean, I expect Spurs to go through um, purely on the basis that if they score, then Dortmund need five. Um, But... Dortmund are at their most dangerous when they're kind of allowed to freewheel and go at it with with no obligation. And that's exactly what, what it will be because they, they have got nothing to lose. They were dreadful in that first leg. Um, they aren't in any form, but it's kind of a perfect distraction from their Bundesliga travails at the moment. So, yeah, if, if Spurs concede early and look as tired as they did at Saturday lunchtime, then, then, then fans will get really, really squeaky bummed. Um, I think nice. Son's the key player for Spurs yeah. counter-attacking here. He's got a very good record against Dortmund as well. 8-8 or 8-9 or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, like Daniel says, I think Spurs will score and then it's a massive task for Dortmund. OK. In the Europa League on Thursday, who are Chelsea playing? Dinamo uh, Kiev. Arsenal, meanwhile, up against Rennes. Do you know what Rennes did this weekend? Did you see their game? Uh, no. They because... didn't play. <laughs> their game against Nîmes was postponed. Yes. But in, in midweek, nice thing happened. Grenier uh, won a pen and then told the ref not to give it. Oh, really? And the ref changed his mind. And they went on to win, which yeah, is exactly. nice karma. But this Rennes thing is, is quite interesting. I mean, the game was postponed specifically because yeah. of the Europa League, which I'm not... I mean, I know it's down to the federations. I'm not entirely comfortable with that. I think maybe move it to Friday night, but I think... Of course, know, oh, of course, it's their decision, but it. it I think it, it gives it gives them an unfair advantage, in my if, opinion. If, if Man United had, um, had beaten PSG one 0 at home, would they have done the same for for PSG as well, or did they decide, well, you won the first leg, so you have to play your game? Or it just seems a very odd. It's, it's a federation possible. choice around the competition. I think a similar thing happened to Ajax. I think they were playing, supposed to play Zvolle, and I think that got moved as well um, to after they play Real Madrid. Me neither. I, I see no no issue with this. Sash, you went to Craven Cottage yeah. and you took some lovely pictures. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I was. Uh, uh, you you were close enough to touch Eden Hazard. Uh, yeah. And I think you wanted to as well. I did want to touch Hazard. I did not want Mitrovic to fall on top of me. Right. Uh, that was that was. A so scary you were moment. right behind. Right the behind goal. the goal. Um, yeah. I thought you were playing as a steward for the day, Sasha. When I saw your photos, it looked like you, you see those Everton stewards casually lying by the pitch. That's Good right. I, I, it looked like Sasha was one of those. Well, they didn't let me lie next to the pitch. I had to sit the other side. I was doing a little bit of filming for for my Russian guys. Um, but it was good. It was. It's a good. Um, Theoretically, vantage point to watch the goalkeepers. Uh-huh. Uh, so, um, Kepa in the first half started a little bit unconvincingly, uh, dropping the ball at Ryan Babel's uh, feet. But after that, I thought he was quite assured. I think the save that he made just before Fulham scored helped him settle in. And towards the end, I thought, you know, last half an hour, three or four crucial saves. Saves he should be making, but he wasn't making any mistakes. It was interesting um, that I expected in the second half to Chelsea absolutely. For just just for them to go out and absolutely slaughter Fulham, mm. and it didn't happen. I was like, "This is weird." 
And about 15, after about 15 minutes of the second half, I was like, Fulham are in the ascendancy here. And then Fulham looked like doing all the scoring. And then Sari, after the game, said, yeah, just basically tired. And they couldn't really move the last, last half an hour. He saw it. It was visible to everybody there. So is this a, do you think this is a new look Fulham? Because, of course, since our last podcast... It's not It's not massively new look. I think he only changed one player, which bring back Sessignon. But I right. think the new look is Scott Parker. Uh, I think right. Scott Parker... He's coming for Claudio Ranieri. Cla- and, was- you know, it's, it's a touch... I mean, uh, being in the press conference after the game, it's really just a touch of normality and I think Parker comes across so well he spoke about bringing back uh, Sessignon as well and you know he had to sit him down have a chat with him you know it's a difficult time for him in the Premier League this season and um, I mean he was glowing as well about getting a job but I think the whole thing with Parker just just, he talks a lot of sense and it seems to be when you are stuck in the trough as as, as Fulham are to bring in such a level head who's already been around the club before, he's played for them before, actually probably makes a lot of sense. And also one thing is important as well, fans turned on Ranieri and the club really badly mm. at Southampton. Whereas I actually had a look around, this was a rainy day, not very nice, about three minutes to go, the stands were full, nobody was leaving. I know it's the derby and stuff and people shouldn't do it, but you see it everywhere, you know, at other stadiums. But here yeah, the fans were staying behind, they were very, very positive. And I thought it was a reasonably positive performance from Fulham. Okay, and a 2-1 victory for Chelsea, Jorginho still without an assist in this Premier League season. <laughs> yeah, although he played a fantastic no, he, he pass. He scored a goal, of course. Well, he scored a fantastic goal and he also played a, a wonderful pass to Higuain who blasted over the bar. Um, this assist thing I think is quite interesting because you can use a metric that you'll be delighted to hear about, James, called expected assists. Yes. Um, where he ranks as, well, he's, he has 3.2 expected assists this season. All right, so he's only three off what he should have done. Is that good then? Well, 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 it suggests another, it suggests that he's creating chances that aren't being finished. He's created yeah. more chances than Three. any Liverpool central midfielder this season. Okay, Jorginho has. Okay, um, Vinaldum's the top, I think, but he's created more than Vinaldum and more than the rest. Now, Liverpool clearly change around a little bit, and you know, a bit of rotation. But even so, that suggests, as Michael says, that the question is not chance creation; it's finishing. Right. So there's okay. players who have created as good, good a chances as him this season who have six or seven assists. Right. Well, uh, Chelsea go again on Thursday night when they'll be hosting Dynamo Kiev in that Europa League. Sasha, I imagine you'll be all over that game. Mm, no, actually, I'm going to be watching Eintracht Inter. Of course you will. Will Icardi play? Well, he was missing again this weekend as Inter saw their, their hold on third place get to... So a slip away as, as as Milan moved past them into third. They've got the derby coming up in a fortnight. That was a bad defeat, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and also, they're coming in against an Eintracht side that are riding a crest of emotion that I think even is astounding everybody in Germany. I think the big question in Frankfurt is whether Ante Rebic is going to play. He had to come off at the weekend against Hoffenheim with a twisted knee, but looks like there is no ligament <coughs> damage. So he should be back in. So they have the former, so this, this, this fantastic front line of Aler, Rebic and Jovic, uh, who have uh, scored, I think, about 36 league goals between them this season, improving massively on last season already. And of course, they have the mad support um, at the stadium. They've actually sold out, uh, for example, all the Europa League group games, even before the draw was made. Um, they, um, I think even by German standards, the atmosphere there is absolutely astonishing. And also, they did a ridiculous thing at the weekend. You know the way um, Ultras steal other Ultras banners? Oh, yeah. And they hang them upside down. Right. Well, the banner hanging outside the, in front of the Ultras at the weekend on it said Bundespolizei. So they nicked something off a they police station. <laughs> wow. That's not the most extraordinary. Well, it's one Cannot of the most extraordinary things. Kind of condone that, but With, I, I think two minutes to go, they were... 2-1 down, down yeah. and they ended up winning 3-2 yeah it's um, it's. I mean 
Hoffenheim, I think, were down to 10 men, but um, the winner came in the 96th minute, and uh, Aller was uh, in the middle of all of this. And uh, yeah, so I, th- I think I think this is really the game to watch. Okay. Given into struggles and given just Eintracht, I think just astonishing everybody at the moment. Hot dog. So, all right. Well, in a second or two, we're going to be uh, talking about the other big games abroad and catch up with Alvaro Romeo for all that Classico news. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always use the same brand of tea bags, I always drink in the same pub, and always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18plusbeginbelaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Joining us now on the line is TalkSport International's Alvaro Romeo. Alvaro, much to talk about. You've gone and had two Clásicos in four days and two away wins for Barcelona. A bad week for Real Madrid. Oh, yeah, it's been a terrible week. And the worst possible thing for Real Madrid is that uh, this Barcelona beating them at Bernabeu feels like normal. I mean, Real Madrid has lost 11 out of the last 18 Clásicos played at Santiago Bernabeu. And um, if we focus just on what happened this season, uh, Barcelona has beaten Real Madrid by 10-2 in the season aggregate, which is absolutely crazy and something that uh, Real Madrid fans find it very difficult to to handle. And in the bigger picture, um, something happened this weekend that is worth remarking as well. Uh, It was the game in which Barcelona surpassed Real Madrid in the head-to-head games between both clubs after beating Real Madrid on Saturday. 96 uh, victories for Barcelona now, over uh, 95 for Real Madrid in a Clásico that has been played over 87 years. Were you surprised, Alvaro? They'd been beaten 3-0 in the Copa del Rey second leg uh, midweek. And then in this game here, did did Real Madrid seem a little bit not particularly at the races in the first half against Barcelona? Well, I believe that Real Madrid has never been that terrible against against, uh, Barcelona in both games, especially in the 3-0 victory of Barcelona, even though it sounds strange. But they have done everything they could from the collective uh, point of view to to beat Barcelona, but they just uh, don't have the, the... ability to score goals, uh, the likes of Vinicius, the likes of Benzema, Lucas Vázquez, even Gareth Bale, they are not enjoying a good season. And I believe that Barcelona uh, is just a much more prolific, much more experienced, if you like, uh, when it comes to uh, handle situations in the boxes. Piqué and Lenglet were amazing defensively. And up front, uh, it wasn't the day of Messi, uh, nor on Wednesday, neither on Saturday. But still, Suárez, Dembélé... uh, Rakitic, when he goes up front and tries to score, they are uh, tremendous scoring forces. And Real Madrid doesn't have just the ability to score. And uh, Solari and Carvajal and Sergio Ramos have been vocal about it. They have said that what they are lacking is um, scoring ability. Mm. You mentioned Gareth Bell, who did get a start in this game, but then uh, deluged in whistles when he was called off. Were the the fans whistling the substitution or the player who who, who was leaving the field? I believe that uh, the latter, uh, because uh, Gareth Bale hasn't been uh, playing well this year. Uh, he was uh, 
he was meant to be the the player who was going to take the reins after Cristiano Ronaldo's departure. And this season, he hasn't hit the 10-goal mark yet in the league, which is very poor, considering that we are already in March. Mm, they call him the golfer at Real Madrid squad. Uh, it seems that he's a player that he's a little bit... Uh, mm, aside uh, or not very integrated uh, in the in the squad but well that was the case as well in 2014 15 16 17 when Gareth Bale was scoring really important goals but this season he's just not doing the job he's not playing very regularly and uh, I believe that uh, the anger that Santiago Bernabeu showed for him which wasn't that uh, stentorous probably but uh, there is some uh, annoyance with him uh, proves as well that uh, Bernabeu is angry at uh, pretty much everything that's going on this season because the departure of Ronaldo was always going to be costly, but Gareth Bale hasn't been the player that Ronaldo was and uh, Real Madrid hasn't signed any player who can bring in 30, 40 goals a season. And this has been the big mistake of Real Madrid. They have uh, spent uh, an amount in the region of 100 million this summer uh, for players like Odriozola, Mariano, Brahim, Courtois, but only Courtois uh, featured against Barcelona. So Real Madrid squad is much more weakened than last season. And uh, very little has been done about it. Mm. They're 12 points behind Barcelona, five points behind neighbours Atleti. Of course, they've got Ajax coming up on Tuesday, in which they were fairly fortunate now, Alvaro, to to come away from the first leg with a 2-1 win. No Sergio Ramos, because he's got one of his many suspensions in that game. And another coming up in the Liga as well after that uh, hand in the face of Messi, is that right? Mm, well, uh, Sergio Ramos is suspended for against Ajax, number one, for having a knowledge in the mixed zone that he tried to get a yellow card booking in the first leg, uh, which is something really amateur, considering that Sergio Ramos is 32 years old. Well, uh, I don't think that Ajax is going to be a big problem for Real Madrid, even though at Amsterdam, Ajax deserve much more, but I think that Real Madrid knows how to how to keep a score. Um, the last time Ajax beat Real Madrid was 24 years ago, in November 1995, and uh, Litmanen and Kluivert, two former Barcelona players, were in the scoreline that day. When it comes to that he should have received against uh, Forelbo with Messi, I would say that um, he just was lucky that VAR didn't, uh, didn't have a second revision uh, of that action. Alvaro Romeo TalkSport International. Not sure if I share Alvaro's confidence about Real Madrid. Uh, Ajax have scored 13 goals in their last three games and only conceded one, although that is in Holland. So, hmm. uh, Also in the Champions League this midweek on Wednesday, Porto hosts Roma. Porto 2-1 down from the first leg. Porto, though, coming off a, a huge defeat in the Liga Nosh, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Huge game. Uh, Porto against Benfica. Porto went into it one point ahead in the table, went 1-0 up. All looked to be uh, smooth sailing and then a really good period either side of half-time turned it around for Benfica and a lovely winning goal um, hit by Rafa from the edge of the box. Not sure about Casillas' goalkeeping there. Mm. There's also an interesting incident, James, mm. about 10 minutes from time when um, Benfica midfielder Gabriel Pires was effectively shown three cards in a row. He tactically fouled someone this created something of a brawl he was involved in that so the referee showed him a yellow card then another yellow card and then a red card which is always you know quite nice to see all right and also that precipitated late period of pressure 
And Vlako Dimos and Benfica goal made up but four Did world saves. Did you watch this game as well, Sasha? Just a little bits of it. He watches uh, everything. <laughs> so last five minutes, Vlako Dimos basically kept Benfica in and Benfica go top. But another amusing thing that happened during the match, uh, 10 prisoners tried to escape from prison as the game was going on because they thought right? the guards would be watching the game. <laughs> Unfortunately, as they broke out of the cell, Two guys were making the rounds and they got reprehended. That is awful, isn't it? Um, did you say fortunately or unfortunately? Unfortunately. Yeah. No, no. yeah, it's hard to know how to call that one, though, because instinctively you kind of... condoning people escaping prison <laughs> and stealing from police stations in the same show. Mm. Yeah, OK, ah, well, well, anyway, so Porto coming off that defeat on Sunday night, a good thing that Roma didn't have a big... Oh, hang oh. on. Um, Roma went and played Lazio away at the Stadio Olimpico. And uh, Lazio came up with a 3-0 win, equaling, I think I'm right in saying, their biggest ever derby I'm win. I'm surprised by this. Yeah. Roma have bigger score lines when they, when they win. And but, lose. Yeah, and lose. But yeah, 3-0. And, I mean, Roma had some chances, but Lazio looked a much better side, which is, was a huge surprise given their form coming into this game. Did you enjoy this, Michael? Yeah, it was lively. It was nice to see Cataldi rounding things off for Lazio because he's a, he's a Roman and, and there's not always so many of them involved in uh, the derby these days. That's true. Threw Olsen's hands for that third. Yeah, it wasn't great goalkeeping. Yeah. The, did you enjoy the first goal? That's the really worrying one, I think, from Rome's point of view because it just shows that without Manolas, Correa with a very very clever little ball slipped through for yeah, uh, Felipe Casillo. Yeah, is slow. Mm. That moves Lazio just three points behind Roma. At the top of the table, there was a massive clash Sunday night. Juventus away at Napoli. Napoli really needed to win this. They didn't. It's now 16 points between them. 16. In other European news, Mario Balotelli's goal against Saint-Étienne. Very special. For the celebration. Well, no, the goal itself. The goal itself was very good, yeah. It wasn't far out. Yeah, but it is his coordinate. I mean, you know, his agility to hook his leg up and also swing it in from there. It's fourth goal in six games for Marseille. Is it? Mm. Very nice. Uh, Monaco, meanwhile, got a two-two draw at Angers. They're now six points clear of the drop in the Championship. Leeds had a whopping win against West Brom, four nil. That was the. As tweeted after the game, but in terms of the pressure on Leeds because of not just from. The media, but their own supporters worried that this well, energy levels are low and things were starting to fade. That's the best performance I've seen in the, in the football league this season. Right. I mean, I mainly watch championship football, I should say, but yeah, it, absolutely superb. There was a there was a, a little video towards the end where Leeds were three 0 up, and it was the eight so eight fifth minute, and there's just six or seven Leeds players just hounding a West Brom player in the ball, nick the ball, take down the other end, and score. And that's in the 85th minute of a game that they're already comfortably winning and don't need to be doing that. There's was... still two points behind Norwich, though. Yeah, they are. The but, but more importantly, you know, the championship title is always less important than automatic promotion. So okay. it's about being in the top two. And they, I think they're three points ahead, are they? Yeah, three points well, ahead of third. But, yeah, but, but uh, Sheffield United have got a game in hand, isn't it? Yeah. All right, because they play this evening, I yes, think, against, against Sheffield Wednesday. Yes, yeah, still City. Interesting. And the, 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 I mean, the thing that everyone was talking about from the championship this weekend was Jack Grealish's goal against Derby very nice it was good very nice and Villain's form since his return uh, from that shin issue as I believe it was has been has been transformed Derby are as we think we said a couple of weeks ago Frank, when Frank Lampard was getting mentioned with the Chelsea job he has got a real job on his hands now because they, I think they've 14 points from 14 games I think and they've out the playoffs now right four straight defeats for Derby and that must be tough on you Daniel thought with uh, them hmm uh, speaking of Leeds, a short time ago, uh, if you're in that part of the world on Monday the 15th of April, looks a lord, it's another live show, Sasha. 
Uh, this one's at Leeds City Varieties Music Hall. I like the sound of that. Uh, Roy Smith's going to be there. Julian Laurence and also James Horncastle. Uh, you can get tickets for this show at cityvarieties.co.uk. Crikey, we're going to be busy. It's almost like the tax year's just ended or something. Um, <laughs> the She Believes Cup is underway in the United States. And England, once again, went behind against the USA, but ended up with a 2-2 draw, which puts them through to the final round of games on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. England will be playing Japan. The USA take on Brazil, who lost to Japan 3-1. What was curious about this game, or inspirational, if you like, was the fact that the American players took to the field with jerseys featuring... That's not unusual. That You're, you're right, yeah. despite Seth Blatter's best efforts. <laughs> but no, sorry, jerseys, Daniel, uh, honouring... Yes. Women who've inspired them. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the choices? Yeah, I saw Megan Rapinoe's, which was uh, Audrey Lord. All oh, right, nice. A campaigner for equal rights. Yes. Okay, Malala was another choice. Tina Fey. You know, <laughs> well, the comedies. Yeah, they yeah. can be inspiring. Carrie Underwood out of American Idol. Yeah. Slightly more surprising. Uh, J.K. Rowling was another choice. Mm-hmm. Beyonce. Beyonce. Well, she just had Yonce. On Did the she just have Yonce? Show. Yeah. Okay. That wouldn't be my abbreviation of choice for Beyonce. You'd go Bay, wouldn't you? Yeah, agreed. I'm getting the word Yonce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone was asking on Twitter about it, but that, saying that she believes Cup sounds really patronising as a kind of imaginative men, male football had a try your hardest lads Cup. But it should be said that it is a, a like a campaign that was started by the American national team to kind of inspire kids to play football and stuff so it isn't quite I can understand why it sounds patronising but it really isn't You're listening to the Totally Football Show sponsors of Melchester Rovers find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com Back to the Premier League we've not got long listeners so Watford beat Leicester 2-1 Brendan Rodgers' debut on the bench. He's had some disastrous debuts in the past. Perhaps it shouldn't be too... Notably, it's Celtic. Do you remember when they lost against that side from Gibraltar? Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Lincoln Red Imps. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it, semi-interesting fact on Leicester that they've conceded 40% of their goals this season in the first or last 10 minutes of games, which is... Mm. Uh, the commentators on Sky were kind of understandably saying that that's a concentration issue, that actually might be quite an easy thing for Rodgers to solve on that's, the training ground. That's not um, all the commentators on Sky were saying. Graham Souness laying into Leicester's players and by kind of thinly veiled implication, Jamie Vardy and Mrs Vardy in particular. Good, that'll make him a few headlines. Yeah. Which is exactly well, I was what I was going to ask if you agree with what he said. He basically made the point that whoever you bring in as manager is not going to have any kind of security at a club where players can so obviously... Mm. row back when they're not into it and also go directly over the manager's head to uh, the the people in power. I I get that, but then I also see why you would... Supporters particularly would back a player like Jamie Vardy because he, A, won them the Premier League title and then, B, rejected a move to Arsenal, which would have made him a lot wealthier than he is in order to stay. So, yeah, I'm not saying he should have a say in who's the manager, but it pays to keep players like that happy and Claude Puel managed that situation really, really badly. Mm. So... I think Rodgers will... Well, he started Vardy firstly, but he'll he'll use Vardy if he's clever. All right. At the bottom, all the bottom sides lost except Brighton and Crystal Palace. Palace, wow. 3-1 against Burnley. 
Yeah, another great display from Wilfred Zaha, who had a bit of a mid-season slump, I think it's fair to say, but was involved in the first two goals. And then I thought his third goal was brilliant, just shaping onto his right foot and then cutting back onto his weaker left foot and still scoring. It was fantastic. This Zaha, this this, this purple patch for Zaha, is that because of Batshuayi's arrival? that It's kind of liberated him up tactically? Or? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they were playing a system earlier in the season where he was essentially being... The primary attacking threat almost asked to play as a centre forward, and I think he prefers playing off a off a conventional striker. And uh, yeah, he's he's just a really good player, Zaha. And uh, I, I'm really pleased for Crystal Palace. I, th- I think they play good football, and uh, yeah, I'm pleased they'll be in the Premier League next year. Two defeats in a row for Burnley Palace. Meanwhile, next face their old rivals Brighton, who just got their first win of 2019, beating Huddersfield. Of course, uh, Wolves beat Cardiff two 0 That's now three defeats in a row for Cardiff in the course of which they've conceded 10 goals and only scored one. And now they've lost Sol Bamber as well. Warnock, for the first time after the game on Saturday, he kind of quickly corrected himself afterwards. But he basically said, you know, I don't really know what else I can do. I've tried everything. It's hard to know what else you can get out of this squad. And I don't particularly have an affinity with the man, but you kind of kind of see his point. They, they've got the weakest squad in the Premier League. They've now lost their best player. Uh, maybe Neil Etheridge has been better than Bamba, but Bamba's certainly been up there. And I think they're just they've just run out of steam now. Yeah, I think he's done a really good job. I mean, when you look at the league table, they're only two points behind Southampton. Mm. How many Cardiff players get in the Southampton side? Probably the two you mentioned, Bamba and uh, the goalkeeper Etheridge. But I think Cardiff have done well just to get promotion with that squad, I think, has, has been a great achievement by Warnock. And finally, West Ham consolidated their rise up the table with a 2-0 win against an inform Newcastle side, a side with the sixth best defence in the Premier League. Yeah, it wasn't a particularly good game. You were um, there, Daniel. Yes, I was. Yeah, um, two two quick things. Firstly, Robert Snodgrass's redemption. That's what I wrote about. His redemption continues, which is mad. What was he being redeem- redeemed well, from? So he, he joined in January 2017 and was loaned out for a season by June 2017. Having They had paid £10 million for him. But then in December 2017, both Karen Brady wrote a column in The Sun saying that he was a waste of money. And... One of the Davids said in an interview that his kids had, had pleaded with him not to buy Snodgrass because he wasn't good enough, but he'd listened to Slavin Bilic and bought him. So, which is mad for owners to do that or chair people to mm. do that. So, yeah, he, it's great to see him back. But is he the one who was who was was um, basically going to town on the uh, motorway service station? Yes, yes he is. Right. Um, he looks. I didn't. I, I didn't realise he turns thirty-two this year. He's he's older than I thought he was, but he he was brilliant again. He's created more chances than any other West Ham player this season, which, given their attacking threat, is pretty impressive. Uh, and Declan Rice was was excellent again. I know he scored. That's not really the point, but yeah, he his ability to dictate the tempo of play in a midfield where you would expect Mark Noble would demand to do that is really it's really good. And then we should be excited about him because he is now eligible for England and he is only nineteen. And did you see at the end uh, Declan Rice celebrating his own goal on the big screen? Oh, I didn't. As, see as that. he was walking off, he was clapping the fans, and they were showing highlights of the game, and they showed him heading in. And he so went, when you yeah. said his own goal, I thought I don't remember him scoring. That goal. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah. No, but he's yeah, right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, he he looks a baller. He uh, does. Uh, uh, as has Almiron in yeah. the past. How was he in the flesh? He 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 is incredibly quick with ball at feet. West Ham shut him down really old. Newcastle were poor. It was it reminded me of Watford's performance at Anfield in the weekend that they just won a couple, got themselves in really good form, and it was almost a free pass to not turn up an away game, which tends to happen quite a bit. They're not safe yet, but given Cardiff's form, you'd kind of think it's probably that bottom three now. 
OK, although, as you mentioned, Southampton only two points off the drop themselves. Nine games to go, all sorts of things can happen. Let's talk about uh, the odds on some of the ones that might be taking place in the near future. Producer Ben here with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Listeners, we're hurtling towards the end of a very, very entertaining show, so let's catch up with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the Champions League. Spurs, they've got the 3-0 lead from the first leg against Dortmund, but can Spurs, as we've been discussing, do the Spursiest of Spursy things and Spurs it up against Dortmund? <laughs> well, they're Spursy and then they're Spursy, Ben. We think Poch's men are safely through. It's a huge 1-50 to that they qualify and a chunky 9-1 to that they really blow it and BVB progress. Though we do think the German side win on the night, it's 10-11 to that Dortmund win the second leg. Let's move on to United then. They're also down from the first leg, 2-0 in this case. But can they turn it around and go through against PSG? Well, if you thought Tottenham are short odds to qualify, get a load of this. It's 1-200 to that PSG progress against United. It's 16-1 to that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer produces yet another miracle and takes United through. But we expect he'll have to settle for a spirited display instead. No matter how bad a domestic season Real Madrid have, they always end up in the Champions League final. But will they be going out against Ajax? And how about giving us the next Real Madrid manager market as well? Well, they weren't exactly convincing in the first leg, were they? But they got the result and we do think that'll be enough to steer them through. Not least because the second tie is at the Bernabeu. It's 1-10 to that Real Madrid qualify or 11-2 to that Ajax produce a shock and go through. If Madrid do go out, that will probably confirm that Santi Solari has no chance of keeping the job beyond this season. Jose Mourinho is the short price favourite to succeed him at 11-10. Oh my. Finally, a quick word on Brendan. Who's going to finish higher next season? Leicester or Watford, who of course beat them at the weekend? Yeah, they were very evenly matched on Sunday, weren't they, Ben? But they're not evenly matched in the thoughts of our traders. This is a one-way battle. In the betting to finish in the top half of the Premier League, Watford are 1-12, to behind only the big six and Wolves, while Leicester are further back at 11-10. to So, according to that market, that means we expect the Hornets to finish 8th and the Foxes to come 11th in the table. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. Be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Good. We're back on Thursday. We, in this particular instance, being uh, James Horncastle, Tom Williams and Natalie Jedra. Sasha, you're off to watch obscene amounts of football, are you? I think my next trip is uh, Munich. OK. Buy on Liverpool next right. week. Well, that'll, that'll be so good. this week. And, and then we're seeing you on March the 25th for tickets available at epsteinliverpool.co.uk. Totally live in Liverpool. Looking forward to it, James. And me too. Daniel, looking forward to seeing you back here next week, probably. Yes, yeah. uh, next Thursday, I believe. Next Thursday, is it? Yes, All right. not around the Monday. OK. And Michael, you've got a busy week ahead? Just Sorting out football. your acknowledgements, probably, no? Yeah, that's that's the primary responsibility. OK, yes. all right. Excellent. Well, enjoy all the European football, you know, the cup yeah. competition stuff. And we'll be back to... Ra- if you miss anything, listeners, don't worry. We'll be here to round it up on Thursday. Have a great week, and we'll see you then. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. 
That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.